Well, I hope everyone had a good Mother's Day yesterday. Uh, I don't know where you were celebrating yours up here in the Northeast. It started out as a beautiful day, and then the day sort of got away from us with a lot of rain, but a good time was had by all, I'm sure. No matter what the weather is, if you can spend it with friends and family, you're always doing well. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the National Preview Online Podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. Go to either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and search out the NPO Podcast, National Preview Online. And you can click subscribe. In the alternative, in one of those two app stores, you can download the free Podbean app, our hosting service, and subscribe that way. Either way, you'll be able to leave reviews, make comments, and interact with the show. And if you'd like to have a particular topic discussed, or you have a personal message you want to send, please feel free to email me, Jamie Dury, simply by sending an email to nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. If any of you would like me to speak at one of your local conservative or Republican uh, political groups or breakfasts, please don't hesitate to contact me at that email address. We have put together a very nice lecture, which is very timely and forward-looking, given our current climate, about the Electoral College and what it actually means and how it's tied to our very system of government before people should be so cavalier to eliminate it, they should at least know what it is they're eliminating and why it came into being in the first place. If you'd like to hear more about that, please contact me. In any event, today's a little bit of a different story. Uh, A lot of people cover some of the big stories, the shootings here, the shootings there. As part of the hallmark of conservatism, conservatism has, as one of its guiding principles, that there should never be a federal program where a state program will do. It never should be a federal law where a state law will do. Likewise, there should never be a state law or program where a local law or program would do. As much as can be left to the private sector as possible should be left to the private sector. That's the guiding principle of conservatism. Now, all we have is the expansion of the welfare state. Welfare spending during the 60s, the era of big government under Johnson with the Great Society program, welfare spending dwarfed what was spent during the Great Depression, and we had people in real need during the Depression. We currently have 50-some-odd million people on food stamps in this country. Now, that number was up to 54 million under Obama. I think it went back down to the 40s under uh, President Trump as he spread economic prosperity, and now it's going to go up again. But is redistribution of wealth via the government and the welfare state really the best way to go about solving poverty and other problems in this country? No, it's not. And to give you an example of why it isn't, let's show you just how timeless these questions are. Back in 1964, a man by the name of Barry Goldwater was running for president. He was running against then-President Lyndon Johnson. Now, Lyndon Johnson was enjoying great but undeserved popularity because he ascended to the presidency from the vice presidency upon the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now, John F. Kennedy <clears throat> excuse me, has been uh, treated very kindly by history and romanticized uh, because he was, unfortunately, murdered. 
Had he not been, uh, it's very doubtful whether or not JFK would have been reelected. His administration was not the most successful. He came under severe public criticism after the Bay of Pigs, and um, he gained some credibility back during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But the point being, Goldwater was running against everything that Johnson and the Great Society were for. And there was a speech that was written, um, was written by Ronald Reagan. It was given by Ronald Reagan. And it launched Ronald Reagan's political career. It was called A Time for Choosing. And you can listen to it in its entirety on YouTube. The best version of it is put up by the Reagan Foundation. It runs 29 minutes. And if you listen to that speech, you'll find that you could be talking about the present day and just substituting some of the players. But one of the things that Ronald Reagan talks about, about a third of the way through that speech, is poverty. And just to show you why government is not the answer to poverty, let's look at this. There are currently some 34 million people in the United States, at least based on the most recent figures we can acquire, which is 2019, living below the poverty line as that is defined by the federal government. Now, back in 1964, the population of the United States was much less, probably something around 200 million people. Uh, When I was going to school, it was widely thought that the population was anywhere between 204 and 212 million when I was in grade school in the late 60s. And back then, we had 9.4 million people living below the poverty line. Now, today, we have something on the order of 335, 340 million people in the United States. And they're telling us 34 million of them are living below the poverty line. That's fully 10% of the population. Now, it doesn't take a genius in mathematics to figure out that as more and more money has been spent on the poor under supposed social welfare programs, the number of poor people, both in raw number and in percentage of the total population, has actually gone up, not down, which led Ronald Reagan to make this observation back when he gave that speech. In 1964, any family earning less than $3,000 a year was considered to be living below the poverty line. Now, as Ronald Reagan noted in his speech, A Time for Choosing, at that time, $4,600 in aid to the poor was being spent per family. Now, that number added to their present income should have theoretically lifted them all above the poverty line. But direct aid to the poor actually totaled only $600 per family. And as Reagan pointed out, somewhere along the line, there must be some overhead. And that is the nature of the problem. Government is spending $4,600 per family back in 1964 to aid people who were poverty-stricken. Yet, out of this $4,600 being spent, only 600 of it actually made it to them in their pockets. 13% of the money spent per capita per family. Now, today we have, as I said, 34 million families living below the poverty line. And given how much inflation has taken place, what defines the poverty line today 
is significantly higher than what defined the poverty line back in 1964. The poverty line today for a family of four is $26,500 a year in 48 out of the 50 states. It's higher in uh, Hawaii, I think, uh, because of costs and everything else, but $26,500 a year. Now, if we use that same recipe they were using and add aid to the poor in an effort to raise them above the poverty level, but yet only 13% of the money we spent actually makes it to their pockets. Do you realize not simply the billions, but the potentially trillions of dollars we would be spending to try and elevate people out of poverty? Government does nothing efficiently, and government can do nothing for anyone. Government can give nothing to anyone without first taking it away from somebody else. Incentivizing the private sector through tax incentives for charity and other philanthropy is the way to go. And so I wanted to do something a little different today in terms of the show by highlighting a sterling example of this, which took place in the state of Texas. This is an excellent article from the Epic Times. You won't find this in most mainstream papers. It's, da- it's dated today, uh, and it's titled... Homeless man asks Texas Steakhouse owner for job busing, and she gives him, quote, a whole new start. Now listen to this article. I'm going to read it to you. A Texas community came through for a homeless man in need after a social media post shared his story. Kenneth Smith went from sitting outside an outback steakhouse to busing tables for the same restaurant, but most importantly, he found hope. It all started with a gift card. A concerned customer saw Smith dozing in a chair outside the eatery, approached him, and asked if he was okay. Smith admitted he wasn't. Quote, I've been homeless for a good four years, he later told NBC. He'd been left wondering, how am I going to get a meal? Who am I going to turn to? Who can I ask? The sympathetic customer handed him a $100 gift card for the restaurant, thus swapping his chair outside for a booth inside. Smith got to chatting with the venue's partner, Laura Hodges, a mother of three who was moved by his story. She said she didn't want him to go hungry. Hodges gave him continued sustenance for close to five months until he got an idea and asked Hodges for a job. When one became available, she didn't hesitate. Since early March of this year, Smith has been bussing tables six days a week. It's a chance, he said, to change his life for the better. This is a whole new beginning that God has blessed me with, he told ABC. So I'm trying to get on this right track that he wants me to stay on. Knowing Smith's need to be still greater... Hodges took to social media and posted on the Fort Worth Foodies Facebook page, querying about affordable lodging. Quote, I've recently employed a homeless gentleman. He is wonderful and works very hard. He is just trying to get a fresh start. Netizens responded and surpassed her expectations. That's apparently an organization that finds housing. Donating cash, a bicycle, and clothes for Smith. They even paid for six weeks at an extended-stay hotel close to the steakhouse, 
along with groceries and kitchen supplies. Quote, All they wanted to do was throw assistance out there and resources in any way they possibly could, Hodges said. I'm blown away by the generosity of people. It's absolutely amazing. Smith's new job has since sparked a dream. He hopes to run his own food service one day. For now, he is saving for a car and eventually a home. I sometimes walk out them doors and glance at the chairs, said Smith. I'd be like, man, I used to sit in those chairs. God is good. If he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody else. Now, this is the sort of story that should be an inspiration to people. Here is a man who doesn't think it's beneath him to bust tables. He would rather work and have dignity than sit and get a handout. He's not living in New York, this epitome of a welfare state, that and California. He's living in Texas. He was given a chance by someone. And that woman is grateful that she gave him a chance. She feels, great, she feels very, very uh, empowered by doing what she did for him. And a lot of other people reached out to help him as well. There is nothing that the government can do to match the generosity of the American people when it is unleashed by government getting the hell out of the way. So when you're speaking to your friends and you're trying to articulate why you're a conservative, this would be a great example to give them. Explain how over time, now we're talking about since FDR started the welfare state and then expanded it under President Johnson, Bill Clinton declared the age of big government over, and now the current Democratic Communist Party of America is trying to bring it back bigger than it ever was before. And the more and more money they spend, meaning the more and more money the federal government confiscates through taxation from the people who actually earn it and put it to work and redistribute it to the poor, the more and more poor we seem to have. The situation doesn't improve. It gets worse. So use this to bolster your arguments. Money is better off in your pocket than in the government. It's better off being spent by you, and you are much better suited to deciding what charities you want to contribute to and who you wish to help directly than the government is. The government is about social engineering. The people are about helping their neighbors. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.